Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So I want to start out this morning with a myth, and this is a myth that you more than likely believe, and and a myth that that you more than likely have been taught. This is the myth that we have only five senses, right? Now, while it is true that we have five basic senses, this myth that we have only five senses originates with Aristotle, who made the claim that we have five senses and five senses alone, and those five senses are smell, taste, sight, hearing, and touch. However, scientists will argue that we have at least nine senses, and some will even go so far as to say that we have 21 senses. So some of these additional senses include the sense of movement, the sense of balance, the sense of temperature, pain, and something called proprioception, hard word, proprioception. The, the sense of proprioception is the ability to know where, where your body parts are even without seeing them. So if you close your eyes and you're able to touch your nose with your eyes closed, you're able to do that because of this sense of proprioception. Some of y'all did that just a second ago, right? You know where your nose is, all right? Officers will often test this sense of proprioception when they suspect someone has been drinking while driving. So this idea that we have only five senses and five senses alone is a myth. So now I want to dispel a a Christian myth. Now, this myth, we, we may believe this because we may have been falsely taught this, Or we may believe this myth simply because we want this to be true in our lives. This is the myth that if we have given our life to Christ, that we're no longer going to have to deal with pain, sickness, or suffering in this world. That all of a sudden, because we've given our life to Christ, that everything is going to be sunshine and cotton candy from this day forward, which I can get behind the cotton candy. But the truth is, even for the believer, God does allow pain, suffering, and sickness in our life at times. Now, there will come a time for the believer that we will no longer have to face pain, sickness, or suffering anymore. And that's going to be when we are in the eternal presence of Jesus Christ. But while we are still in this world, there will be times that we have to deal with suffering. There will be times that we have to deal with sickness and that we have to deal with pain. But the truth is, for the believer, even in those times, even in the circumstances of our life that may be difficult, pain, suffering, sickness, for the believer, we can still walk in and experience joy. So we're in a series right now titled Undeniable Joy. And as we're going through this series, we're simply walking through the book of Philippians. So let me just pause right here to remind you of our working definition for biblical joy. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the Spirit 
that is at work within us regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. Let me say that again. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the Spirit that is at work within us regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. And, and remember, when I say the spirit that's at work within us, I'm not referring to our own spirit, and I'm not referring to some mystical spirit. I'm specifically referring to the Holy Spirit, which Scripture teaches is given to every single believer upon the moment of our salvation. And so if you've given your life to Christ then you have received the Holy Spirit into your life. And because of the Holy Spirit in your life that is at work in your life, even when the circumstances of your life are not joyful circumstances, you can still walk in and experience joy in the midst of those circumstances. Even in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sickness, you can still experience joy. Because you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, working in you to produce this joy in your life. Now, if you haven't given your life to Christ, then understand that's the first step for you today. To give your life to Christ. Because apart from giving your life to Christ, apart from salvation, apart from receiving the Holy Spirit in your life, you may be able to experience temporary joy. You may be able to experience happiness based on the circumstances of your life. Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not. But you're not going to be able to experience this unending and undeniable joy that we're talking about in this series. That only comes through salvation and through the Spirit when it is given to us. And so if you have not yet given your life to Christ then that's my prayer for you today, that today would be the day that you don't just know and experience this undeniable joy, but that you come to know Jesus as Lord. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18 today. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Now, as you're turning there, let me remind you that the book of Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, to the Philippian church. And Paul is writing this letter while he is in prison. And he's in prison for sharing the gospel, for preaching the good news that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again three days later, and that through him and him alone there is salvation, and so Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. And yet, even though Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, he is filled with so much joy. Now, I would, I would mention for Paul, his suffering did not end when he became a believer. Rather, when he became a believer, this is really when his suffering began. And yet, in the midst of prison, in the midst of this suffering... Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church that is filled with so much joy. How is he able to do this? Because Paul is, Paul's joy is not rooted in his circumstances. His joy is not rooted in whether he's in prison or out of prison. Paul's joy is rooted in and produced by the spirit that is at work within him. Now, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, before our revival services in the park, we looked at the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And in these first 11 verses, the primary focus of these 11 verses is, is this call that we have as believers 
to walk in humility. Paul is calling the Philippian church, the believers in Philippi, to walk in humility. And the perfect example that Paul uses for humility in these 11 verses is Jesus Christ, who stepped out of heaven, who went to the cross, who died on that cross, who rose again victoriously. Jesus did this with great humility. And so Paul uses Jesus as the perfect example for humility. Now, many times when we think of humility, we may think of it as something weak, that, that maybe humility is somehow a relinquishing of power. But I want to offer for you what I believe is a biblical understanding of humility. Humility is not a relinquishing of power. Humility is when we appropriately use our power for the sake and the benefit of others. Let me say that again. Humility is not a relinquishing of power. Humility is when we appropriately use our power for the sake and the benefit of others. So a couple of weeks ago, I performed a, a couple of funeral services for some people in, in our community. And because of that, some gifts of cash had been given to me. I don't typically carry cash in my wallet. But because I had performed these funerals, I had cash on hand with me. So two Fridays ago, I went to the pep rally, as I do every Friday when they have a pep rally. So I went to the pep rally. And when I walked in, they were selling Stockdale ISD apparel, Stockdale hoodies and shirts. And so when I went further into the gym, I saw my daughter. She came up to me. And I asked her, would you like me to buy you a hoodie? And she said, of course. I mean, why is she going to turn down a hoodie? So I used my cash that I had in my wallet to purchase her a hoodie. Now, I didn't have to use my cash to purchase her a hoodie. This was my cash. This cash belonged to me. But out of my love for her, I chose to use this cash for her sake and for her benefit. Understand, Christ did not have to come into this world. Christ did not have to die for you and, for, and me. In his power, he could have chosen to stay in heaven and to allow for all of us to perish. That's what we deserve because of our sin. But God, in his great love for us, sent Jesus into this world, and, and he chose to use his power for our sake and for our benefit. You see, when Christ entered this world, he did not relinquish his power as God, nor did he relinquish his power as God when he went to the cross. Rather, Christ appropriately used his power for our sake and for our benefit so that many could be saved. In other words, Jesus did not become less powerful on the cross. Rather, his power was fully displayed on the cross. He didn't become less power, powerful on the cross. His power was fully displayed on the cross, and it is the very power that is displayed on the cross that is the salvation for all those who will call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. And so Paul, using the perfect example of Christ's humility, he calls the Philippian church to walk in humility as well, not considering themselves as, as greater than others, but, but looking out for the interests of others. And so as we look at our passage today, we're really going to see Paul continue this thought as he gives continued instructions for how the Philippian church and for how we are to live in this world. 
So with that in mind, let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in this world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, there are a couple of things that I want to highlight in verses 12 and 13 as we start out. First, I want to highlight what we see there in verse 12. At the end of verse 12, Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if we look at this verse just at face value, this verse can, can seem somewhat confusing. And so I, I want to discuss real quick what Paul is not saying and what Paul is saying. First, Paul is not saying, work for your salvation. Paul is not saying, work for your salvation. If this is what Paul is saying, then he would be contradicting his own words that he wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Because in verses 8 through 9 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Salvation is not something that we can work for, earn, or achieve. Salvation is received by grace through faith. And so if Paul is not saying work for your salvation, then what is Paul saying? Well, this is where context matters. Remember, Paul's words here are, are written within the context of, of these instructions for how we are to live in this world. At the start of chapter 2, he said, walk in unity and walk in humility. We're going to continue to see some instructions that we're going to talk about a little later on in this message. But, but as we understand that Paul is, is saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling in the midst of these instructions for living in this world, we have a greater understanding of, of what Paul is really saying. And this is what Paul is saying, actively live out your salvation. Actively live out your salvation. Paul is not saying work and live in such a way in order to be saved. Paul is saying work and live in such a way because you have been saved. In other words, for the believer, the way we live in this, this world should look different from the way the rest of the world lives. The things we watch on TV should be different from the things that the rest of the world watches on TV. The, the, our conversations, the words of our conversations, the words that come of our, out of our mouth should be different than the words that the rest of the world is using. We should not consistently and habitually give ourselves over to the sinful desires of our flesh because salvation has come to us our lives should look different. 
listen, the idea that I've given my life to Christ for the sake of salvation and I'm just going to continue living how I've always lived, I've given my life to Christ, but I'm just going to continue living in sin, that is completely contrary to the gospel and completely contrary to everything that Scripture teaches us. If salvation has come to us, we should actively live out our salvation. So let me just pause right here and ask, are you actively living out your salvation? Are you actively living out your salvation? Do your words, actions, and attitudes reflect that of someone who has been set free, transformed, and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Are you actively living out your salvation? Now, this is what I'm not asking. I'm not asking, are you living a completely perfect life, right? Unfortunately, even for the believer, we are still faced with the temptations of this world. And bottom line, we are not going to be able to live a completely perfect life until we are in the presence of Jesus completely perfected. However, if you have given your life to Christ, recognizing the great salvation that has come to you and the holy God that you serve then there should be a desire within you to turn away from sin and to resist the temptations of this world that our life might reflect the salvation that we have received. Now, as we think about living out our salvation, I don't know about you, but that's a very weighty thing when I think about it. When I think about actively living out my salvation, when I think about walking in obedience to God every day, that seems like, man, that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of weight on me because, bottom line, I know myself and I know that I'm going to fail. So let me offer you a word of encouragement now from verse 13. You don't have to do it in your own strength. You don't have to do it in your own strength. I think Paul understood the weightiness of what he has just said as he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling actively live out your salvation. And so he immediately follows it with, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. As Paul says, work out your salvation, Paul immediately follows it with, oh, and by the way, God is at work within you to accomplish this. God is at work within you to accomplish this. You don't have to do it in your own strength. And so the good news for, for us is that if we've given our life to Christ, yes, we are absolutely called to actively live out our salvation. We are called to turn from sin. We are called to resist temptations. We are called to live in such a way that, that our salvation is evident in our life. But because we've given our life to Christ, and because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, the same Spirit that is able to produce joy in our lives, even when the circumstances of our lives are not joyful circumstances, this same Spirit is at work within us to produce obedience in our lives, even when it may be difficult to obey. And so the Holy Spirit, can, it, it, He empowers us so that we are able to fulfill this call that has been placed on our life to actively live out our salvation. We don't have to do it in our own strength. And bottom line, the truth is we're not called to. We are called to rely upon God's strength and His Spirit inside of us. 
So now that, now that we understand that we're not simply called to walk in obedience in our own strength, we are called to walk in obedience, but, but since we understand we're not called to do this in our own strength, now I want us to look at a couple of more things, a couple more instructions that we have in this passage, and I want to look at it with an understanding, kind of an overarching call that Paul gives to us here. This overarching call is we are called to shine like stars in this world We are called to shine like stars in this world. Let's read verses 14 through 15 again. It says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. We are called to shine like stars in this world. Now, of course, Paul is writing this letter long before the year 2022. But as we see these words, crooked and perverted generation, Paul very well could have been writing about the year 2022. Amen? But here's the truth. No matter how good you might think your generation was, no matter how much better you might think your generation was than the current generation, the truth is is that every generation has been a crooked and perverted generation since the days of Adam because every generation has been marred by sin. But as Paul talks about shining like stars, I I do think that it's important that he's pointing out that we live, that they lived in a crooked and perverted generation and that we live in a crooked and perverted generation. Because here's the deal. Stars are best seen in the darkness. Stars are best seen in the darkness. So a couple of weeks ago, Jupiter was as close to the earth as it's ever going to be in our lifetime. I learned that from Palmer because Palmer loves the stars. All right, And so when Jupiter was as close as it's ever going to be in our lifetime... He took his telescope out to the uh, dirt parking lot by the splash pad. He set up his telescope. Emily, Ethan, and I, we went out there, and we were able to look through the telescope and see Jupiter, and we were also able to see Saturn, which was pretty cool. But as we were preparing to go out there, Palmer said, we want to make sure that we go out there late enough because it needs to be dark enough for us to be able to see the planets, for us to be able to see through the telescope. You see, if we had planned this, even at sunset, when the sun was still going down, it would have been futile because the light would have hidden the stars. And so we had to wait till it was dark enough so that the stars, so that the planets would be bright enough for us to see. Stars are best seen in the darkness. Listen, it's true. We live in a dark world We live in a crooked and a perverted, a perverse generation. And that may concern you. But the good news for us is, is that stars are best seen not in the light. Stars are best seen in the darkness. And so the darkness of this world provides the best backdrop for the glory of Christ to shine most brightly in your lives in the midst of this darkness. Stars are best seen in the darkness. And so we have this call to shine like stars, but the question is, how can we shine like stars? How are we to shine like stars in this dark world? And this is where I want to give you just quickly a couple of things for you to walk away with today. 
First, we shine like stars when we resist grumbling and arguing. We shine like stars when we resist grumbling and arguing. We already saw this at the start of verse 14, but it says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, why is it important for believers to resist grumbling and arguing? Because here's the truth. The world is not short on grumbling and arguing. The world is not short on grumbling and arguing. If you turn on the news, I guarantee you that you're going to hear some grumbling and arguing, especially if it's a political news outlet that you turn on. You're going to hear some grumbling and arguing. If you get on social media, you hop on Facebook or Twitter, you are going to see some grumbling and arguing taking place. In fact, there are some people that exist on social media simply for the arguments that they can create. So back in the year 1610, that's when people started using that term troll to describe ugly creatures. Whether these creatures were real or not, right? They may have been fictitious creatures, but, but these were ugly creatures. Sometimes they were described as dwarf-like creatures. Sometimes they were giant-like creatures. But, but these were ugly creatures that you did not want to cross paths with. Now, by the 1990s, that term troll began to take on more of a, a fun meaning as people began to go to the store to buy these troll dolls with tall, colorful hair. Some of you out there may remember the color of your troll doll's hair. But with the creation of social media, that term troll has taken on an ugly meaning once again because an internet troll is someone who gets online and begins to post things or comment on other people's posts to evoke an emotional response in you so that you will publicly grumble and argue. The world is not short on grumbling and arguing, but this is what the world is short on. The world is short on people who are shining like stars. The world is short on people who are standing for the gospel. The world is short on people who are, are pointing back to the hope and the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. You can find grumbling and arguing anywhere, but the world needs to see Jesus. The world doesn't need more grumbling and arguing. The world is a dark, crooked, and perverse world. And so the world needs people who are going to stand for the hope and the salvation of Jesus so that people will point back to the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. And so let me just pause right here to give you a, an instruction. When things look dark around you, Look for ways to shine. When things look dark around you, look for ways to shine. Look for ways to point people back to the hope that we have in Jesus. So we know that the year 2020 was a dark year, right? This is not a year that we want to repeat. And even before 2020, in 2019, towards the end of 2019, we weren't in an election year yet, but uh, we were pretty close to it. And so there was already a lot of grumbling and arguing taking place on social media. And so in August of 2019, I decided on social media, I was going to post one scripture with a little devotional every single day. Just every day, 
I was just going to get on Facebook. First thing in the day, I was going to post a, a scripture with a little devotional for people to read. And I did that every day up until uh, August of 2021. And so I did this because as I looked at my social media feed, I didn't want to just blend into the darkness. I didn't want to just blend into the grumbling and arguing. Instead, I wanted to point people back to Jesus. When things look dark around you, look for ways to shine. So we shine like stars when we resist grumbling and arguing. Second and finally, we shine like stars when we hold firm to God's word. Let's look at the end of verse 15 and the beginning of verse 16. It says, shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Now, what is the word of life? Well, I've already told you what it is. The word of life is God's word. The, the word of life is scripture. And so Paul says, hold on to it. Hold on. Hold firm to the word of life. So when I was a child and my dad was teaching me how to fish, he bought me a child-sized fishing pole, and it was one of those that had the, the push button to cast. And so in teaching me how to fish, teaching me how to cast, he said, I want you to push the button, pull your arm back, swing your arm forward, and let go of it. So I pushed the button, I pulled my arm back, I swung my arm forward, and I let go of that pole, and it went flying into the water. And my dad immediately said, no, you have to hold on to the pole. As Paul is in the midst of his struggle in prison, and as the Philippian church, as they're in the midst of being persecuted for their faith as well, Paul says, you have to hold on to the word of life. You can't let it go. You have to hold on to God's word because God's word is truth. Listen, there are a lot of voices out there in, in our dark world, and unfortunately, not every voice is a voice of truth, and not every voice is a voice that brings life. There are so many things out there that, that are lies that are being touted as truth. And so we have to, as believers, we have to hold on to truth. We have to hold firm to the word of life. Let me just give you this reminder. God's word is truth and God's word brings life. God's word is truth and God's word brings life because God's word points us to the truth of Jesus Christ. And if we will hold firm to the word of life, if we will hold on to God's word, if we will walk in obedience to the word of life, if we will allow the word of life to be our source for truth in this crooked and dark generation then we will resist grumbling, we will resist arguing, we will walk in humility, we will walk in unity, and we will shine like stars in this dark world. And Paul says, if you do these things, man, I'm going to rejoice in this. And I believe if we will do these things, we will be able to rejoice as well. We will be able to walk in and experience this undeniable joy. But before we can experience this undeniable joy and before we can shine like stars, we must first know Jesus as Lord. And so as we close today, that's the question that I have for you is, do you know Jesus as Lord? And if you don't, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing one final song. 
And as we sing this song, this is going to be your opportunity to respond today. And if you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus as Lord, but today I've heard that he died for me. He rose again. And in him, I can be set free, transformed, and redeemed. And so today, I'm ready to place my hope. I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, then as we sing this song, I would invite you to respond. I'm going to be standing right down front. Would you step out of your seat and join me? We can talk. We can pray. Today, you can come to know Jesus as Lord. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I do know Jesus as Lord. I've given my life to Christ. But you know, I've never taken that step of baptism. We don't believe that baptism saves us, but we do believe that baptism is something that we've all been called to do to publicly profess our faith in Christ to others. And so if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that step of baptism, I would invite you to respond as well. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, and to get your baptism on the schedule. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ. I've already been baptized by immersion. I've been visiting First Baptist Church Stockdale. I know that God's calling me to make this my church home, to come and connect my life with this body of believers here in Stockdale. If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well. We can talk, we can pray. Today, you can become a member of this church body. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, I would encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you and have a great week.